For our scripture reading this evening, we're going to be turning once again to page 1880 in the Pew Bibles, and we're going to be looking at James chapter 1, and we'll be considering for the text this evening verses 5 to 11, but we'll read uh, the first 11 verses of this chapter once again. So James chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man shouldn't think that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all that he does. The brother and Humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. So the Father, reading of God's word for our lives this evening. Brothers and sisters and our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning we looked at the first four verses of chapter 1 of James and And what we saw was the certainty of the trials that we're going to face in this life. And that we had to count trials all joy. Being enabled to do this by looking to Christ. We also saw that the purpose of trials is for the testing of our faith. A testing which leads to perseverance in our walk with the Lord. God does not give us more than we can bear. And so we're refined by God for our good. We saw that the intended result of the trials that we go through is to make us more like Christ, more, uh, to make us perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing, that we might continue on in our faith in God, no matter our life circumstances. Trials produce perseverance, and, and we can remain steadfast, looking forward to the glory that is to come. As we turn our attention to the passage that's before us today, we can see that, that James is instructing these believers that are under severe persecution. He's instructing them to pray. And what are they to pray for? Well, as we've read, they're to pray for wisdom. In trials, we are to pray for wisdom. And James tells us how to pray. Is This is very important. And then James finishes this by, by looking at two contrasting positions in, in worldly terms and shows us how in trials and, and in Christ that these two are equals. 
This passage isn't separated from these first four verses, and, and we're still dealing with trials here. This morning, I gave some examples of suffering that we might experience, or we know someone that's experiencing them. We know we're going to suffer, or we're already suffering. And this evening, we're going to look at wisdom in trials, how to, the, how to deal with the trials that we face. And the necessity as well of humility and trials. So, so this evening, we're going to look at how we can remain steadfast in trials practically. We're going to look at this under three points again. Uh, first point is that we need to pray for wisdom. This is based on verse 5. Secondly, we need to pray in faith for wisdom. This will be focusing on verses 6 to 8. And then thirdly, we need a humble spirit. Verses 9 to 11. So firstly, we need to pray for wisdom. The book of James is considered to be wisdom literature. It's, it's a wisdom letter. And for the believer, wisdom is something that we cannot live life without. We cannot survive trials without wisdom from above. In fact, we, we cannot even begin to live a life for the glory of God without wisdom. When we go through trials, we, we often have trouble grasping why we're suffering uh, in this way. We, we lack wisdom to count it all joy and to, to remain steadfast in trials. We struggle to understand. And, and we ask ourselves in the midst of a trial, what am I to do? And for this, James is saying, you need wisdom. You need practical wisdom. There are two types of of wisdom that we're told about in Scripture. There's worldly wisdom, which tells you that you are sufficient in and of yourself, that you are the one who holds the answer to all of life's trials, and it's only as you empower yourself that you will succeed in this life. Worldly wisdom also tells you that this life, this life is all that there is. Make of it what you will. If you do well enough, maybe you'll be remembered for a century beyond your death. Maybe you'll be remembered for a few centuries. That's if you're doing well. Well, Scripture in Proverbs 3 verse 7 warns us against this kind of thinking. And it says that we are not to be wise in our own eyes. We're to fear the Lord and to shun evil. So then we can see that there is... God's wisdom. The wisdom is, as it says in the second half of Proverbs 3, 7, wisdom is fearing God and turning away from evil. True wisdom comes from God. And we need more than just human abilities, more than just human understanding to get through these trials. And, and as we talked about this morning, the, the purpose of our trials is to drive us to dependency on God. James commands us here to pray for this wisdom. And when we pray for wisdom, God promises that he will give without holding back. That's his nature. That's who he is. He gives and he gives and he holds nothing back. Reading verse 5 again. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. And it will be given to him. 
The word liberally means freely, generously. God doesn't withhold wisdom from the believer who asks. Who here among us likes to ask for help? I'm sure not many of us. I certainly don't. Think, well, what will people think of me? Maybe they'll think I'm stupid or something. Or we tell ourselves that, that we can just do it on our own. We don't need help from anyone. We're so proud. Well, Psalm 81 verse 10 reminds us when God speaks to Israel that the Lord is our God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. God, first of all, reminds His people of of who He is and His redemptive work that He's already done for them. I mean, they couldn't save themselves. He goes on to say that that He will fill their mouths if, if only they would open them. In other words, God wants to do this. And He would give to them generously and without reservation if they would but ask. He would give them wisdom. And he would give them his grace if they would but ask. Isn't that beautiful? This morning we we talked about uh, looking outside of ourselves in trials and, and looking to Christ, having our gaze fixed upon him. Well, Christ is our our mediator and our high priest, and so we endure and we remain steadfast in trials through prayer to Him. Prayer is a God-given tool in remaining steadfast in trials. Mark 14, verse 38, Jesus says, Watch and pray that you do not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. We endure through prayer. This brings us to our second point this evening. We need to pray in faith for wisdom. You don't just pray for the sake of praying. Anyone can do that. I think it's, it's fascinating to see that, that when someone who, who says that they don't believe there is a God, I mean, we see this all around us, don't we? Even in, in movies as well, that in times of trouble, this person who doesn't believe in God Praise as fervently, if not more fervently, than someone who does believe in God. I mean, this shows that there is this awareness of God in, in all people. But we know that, that this kind of prayer doesn't indicate true faith. Verse 6 says, when, but when you ask, you must believe and, and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed around by the wind. There's this condition that, that James places on our prayers. We must ask in faith for wisdom, with a believing and confident prayer. All due to our knowledge of who God is, right? I mean, some doubt that God could give us an answer. Maybe we think that our requests are just too much to ask for, and therefore, why would God give me what I request? Well, how quickly we forget just who God is. 
Our faithful covenant God. We can see this through Scripture, can't we? God has to continually remind His people of who He is and what He's already done for them. The prayers He's already answered. Some people get angry with God about what has happened or or with what they're going through. And and the prayer then becomes less of a request and more of an argument with God about what's right for us in this life. James here is reminding us, brothers and sisters, that we're not to doubt what God is able to supply. We're not to doubt the power of God. And we most certainly are not to doubt the purpose and the will of God. So we shouldn't question whether God should or shouldn't have ordained what he did ordain to happen. We saw that this morning too, that if something didn't go the way that we wanted it to, it it doesn't mean that we have the right to tell God what's best for us. Remember, he's the potter and we're the clay. Faith that is steadfast, simply believes that God is sovereign and that He loves us and that He'll give us all that we need to remain steadfast in that trial. And this steadfast faith goes to God in prayer. Brothers and sisters, whatever trials you go through, you're to have a believing heart, believing that God put you through this trial For his purpose. And that his purpose is right. That it's true. And that it's just. And ultimately, of course, that it's for your good. Consider Job's response to God and his suffering and trial in Job chapter 42. Where he says, I know that you can do everything. In other words, I know that you, God, can do everything. And that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things far too wonderful for me, that, I, which, I, that which I did not know. Job doesn't know why he's suffering. However, he, his understanding comes when he recognizes God as being who he is. We are to believe that, that God will give us wisdom to endure the trial and, and that it's for our benefit. And that once we've endured the trial, that we will be better than we ever could have been if, than, if we hadn't gone through that trial in the first place and endured it. What a promise. This promise is from our loving, sovereign God. Do you believe that? Do you believe God's promise to you? Verse 6 also goes on to to talk about the one who doubts in their faith. The the person who doubts uh, prays to God without really believing that God is who he says he is and that he can do what he says he can and will do. Now God can't really give them the wisdom that they need. And and they believe one day that that God can give them wisdom. And the the next day they believe that that he won't or that he can't. 
And on and on it goes. They're indecisive. This type of person James is saying is, is like the wave of the sea. It's, it's driven. It's tossed to and fro by the wind. Back and forth. Never able to settle. That person who doubts is tossed to and fro by the wind. They're blown around. Like so many of God's people throughout the Bible, one of the main examples that came to mind is the Israelites in the book of Judges, where they want God to rule over them. And then after a while, they, they go to their idol gods, and then things don't go too well for them, and so they want God to rule over them again. And then after a while, they return to their idol gods, and, and back and forth they go. Also in the days of prophet Elijah, the, the people couldn't decide whether Jehovah was God or, or Baal was God. Well, James is saying people who want God or, and who also want something else are like the, the wave of the sea driven by the wind. People who doubt like this don't go to God and cling to Him in confident trust. Brothers and sisters, we cannot be in two minds as to where our trust is. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says that, that without faith it's impossible to please God. For, for he who comes to God must believe that He is. In other words, that He exists. And that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Verse 7 in the text before us also says that the per that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. There's no sense in the person who doubts thinking that they will receive anything from God. Those who doubt God do not trust in God and are not fully committed to Him. And they're not going to receive anything from Him. Do you see how vital this is? vital that we understand this because these character traits ca characterize the unbeliever they can also describe the christian who's weak in faith a person who comes to ch to church and and who isn't really a believer will suffer trials and and just like the house that is built on the sand they'll be washed away this is why James is saying this. He wants believers to truly believe and to truly stand firm in the strength that only God can give them. Also, it's so sad, but it can happen also to uh, that a Christian. Sorry, I'll start it again. But it can also happen that a, a Christian who is weak in faith will go through some kind of trial, and instead of counting it all joy, as we read in verse 2, and who does not submit their will to God, and so does not have a believing heart, they feel like they're on an emotional roller coaster. And they feel that they cannot trust God. And they feel then that they cannot pray to God, and, and so they don't ask for wisdom from God. And so think about this, they are unwilling then, to cash in on the resources that God has provided for them in their spiritual account. The result is then that they do not receive anything 
They suffer through the trial and misery and without any deep-seated sense of joy that actually is theirs in Christ. They're moved only by their feelings rather than being moved by the faith and trust in God that should characterize the life and the attitude of a believer. I mean, it's always a constant struggle against our feelings and trials, isn't it? Verse 8 sums it up. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. Sinful person, as it says later on in this letter of James in chapter 4, verse 7 to 10, uh, a sinful person needs to humble themselves in God's sight and he will lift them up. We need the humility brought about by wisdom that we might fear the Lord and that we might trust in Him alone. Double-minded person is essentially a hypocrite. A hypocrite says he'll do one thing and then he goes and does another. This person knows that they should trust the Lord, but in practice, they don't trust Him. The original now, the word in the original language for double-minded literally means double-souled, two-minded, a mind divided between God on the one hand and the world on the other. Someone who trusts and who does not trust. Someone who believes and yet doesn't believe. A friend of the Lord and a friend of the world. Well, James 4 verse 4 also says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. These are strong words, but they're true. And so it is with the, that a believing heart that genuinely believes is essential to remaining steadfast through trials. The believer with this kind of faith, and instead of being a wave that's pushed here and there by the wind, their faith is like a tree whose roots are deeply embedded in the Word of God. And while they might be buffeted by the wind, they remain standing firm. This brings us to our third point this evening. We need a humble spirit. This is focusing on verses 9 to 11. Verse 9 is another command from James. He says, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. A better word, a better translation than to take pride is rejoice. Believers in humble circumstances ought to rejoice in their high position. This is a, a mandatory rejoicing. Let the poor man, the man without many material things, let him who does not have much rejoice. Remember the audience to whom James is writing. They're suffering through trials, through physical persecutions. They are having what is theirs taken from them, and in the end they have not enough to look after themselves. So most of these Christians were very, very poor. James says, let the poor man rejoice. What does that word, take pride or, or rejoice, mean? It means to boast of a privilege or a possession. Let the poor man boast. Here is the, the joy of legitimate pride. 
The poor man may have nothing in the world to rejoice about. He may possess nothing in this world, but let him rejoice because it's his privilege. What is it that he might boast in, you might ask? That he is lifted up. You might ask again, he's lifted up in what way? Well, he's lifted up spiritually. He might be the poorest of, poor in, of the poor in this world, but he can rejoice because of his being lifted up before God. We know that this is all thanks to the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross. He humbled himself. He came down so that we might be lifted up. And so James says, if, if you have nothing in this life, if you've had all your possessions taken away from you, if you find yourself at the lowest of the low that you have ever been, you have reason, brothers and sisters, to rejoice because you're lifted up spiritually, lifted up by Christ and presented to God as perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Here's a beautiful quote by a theologian. He says, The poor man may be hungry, but he has the bread of life. The poor man may be thirsty, but he has the water of life. He may have no riches here on earth, but he has eternal riches. He may be cast down and despised by men, but he has been received by God. He has no home on earth, but he does in heaven. The poor man can rejoice because God is watching over him and knows him. End quote. Brothers and sisters, what wonderful news. Our, our trials are refining us. They're making us perfect. And the reason is that we will be lifted up spiritually. In this life, God is refining us. He's maturing us. And that is God lifting us up. So the poor man can accept the situation he faces each day as he struggles to make ends meet and his many trials because of the hope that God is lifting him up through them spiritually with the result that he will inherit this future glory. He has a rich inheritance awaiting him in heaven and this is God's promise to all those who believe in and love God. In 1 Peter 1 verse 8, Peter says, Though now you do not see him, Yet believing in him, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Therefore, we can rejoice in any trial. Because God has chosen us to a high position within his kingdom. In Romans 8, Paul also tells us that the sufferings we experience in this world are not worthy to be compared to the future glory that we're now heirs to in Christ. That's certain. The final two verses of this text, verses 10 and 11, James moves on to address the rich. It says there, but the rich should take pride or they should boast in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat, withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. 
Let the rich man rejoice when he's brought low. Because when a rich person goes through a trial, they begin to realize that, that everything they possess cannot buy what really matters in life. Happiness in things in this life is fleeting. Nothing here gives us true, lasting joy. So the poor person rejoices in the provision of God. And the rich person in their need also rejoices in God's provision in the same way. And this, the, the poor man and the rich man are alike. They are both dependent on God. Christ brings together both poor and rich. Why? Because we all are humbled at the same level in the trials that we face. And we all need to lean on God. That's the point. Money never has, money never will buy anyone out of their real trials. Money might help with financial difficulties, but it won't help in the real everyday trials of life. What James is saying here is that, that whether rich or poor, trials come into life to humble us. And true humility says that, that everything that I have and everything that I am belongs to God. Poor man is lifted above his trials to a position in Christ's kingdom where he has riches and may rejoice and boast that he's God's child. Faith in Christ is, is equally beneficial for the rich man as it fills him with the spirit of Christ, the, the spirit of lowliness, which is real humility. The poor are enabled to forget their lack and the rich are enabled to forget their plenty and the two are equals in Christ. Everyone's the same no matter what trial they're going through. Just think about it. The rich person who loses a child mourns and grieves for this child in the same way that a poor person would if they experienced that same trial. No amount of money will bring that child back. Trials ought to bring us to, to that same level of dependency on God, no matter what our status in life is. In effect, James is saying as well that it's easier for a poor man to have riches in heaven uh, as their hope than for those who are rich. Remember, Jesus said as well that it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I think that this is a warning for us because I think most of us in the Western world and first world countries struggle more with the wealth issue rather than being poor. Even the poorest of us tends to have a house, however modest, and some food on the table, right? So James is warning us here as well that, that we shouldn't be overly focused on earthly possessions. Money cannot buy us what we need spiritually. All of us will fade away like the flower in the grass of the field. Both the rich and the poor man are level in death. Death is the great equalizer. Cannot take any of these God-given earthly possessions with any of us when we go to be with Him in glory. James shows this concern that he has for rich people. He has 
a particular concern for rich people as he mentions these warnings throughout his letter. Deuteronomy 8, verses 17 to 20, also warns those who are wealthy. It says, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God, and if you go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. James' emphasis here in chapter 1, verse 10 to 11, is that there is a true spirit of humility that does not put trust in these earthly things which pass away so quickly. Isaiah 40, verses 6 to 8 says, All flesh is grass, and all beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Death and the judgment of God will remove all earthly possessions in the end. Therefore, both rich and poor should depend on God alone and, and rejoice in their heavenly riches which they've been given in and through Jesus Christ our Lord. So finally, congregation, what is necessary to remain steadfast in trials? Well, we need wisdom. And wisdom teaches us to be content in all of life's circumstances, whether rich or poor. And so we need wisdom, which we get from the Word of God, which stands forever. By acknowledging that we know from whom all that we are given is because God has so ordained it. God will exalt the poor. He will humble the rich for His name's sake, for His own glory. So we need also humility. Not relying on our own understanding. But in faith, clinging to the promises that are in the Word of God. What kind of attitude is necessary for us to face trials and to remain steadfast? A joyous attitude with a believing heart. Praying for wisdom and true humility that only comes from God that we might submit to His will. Not trusting in, in anything other than in God and His abundant provision for us as people. In this way then, we, we too follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, who is of course our supreme example. Christ who, who humbled Himself even to the point of dying on the cross for your and my sake. May you and I pray as Christ did in the face of His trials and suffering. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Lord, you, you know how weak we are. You know the feebleness of man. And yet, we pray in faith, dear Lord, that you might strengthen us spiritually. That we might not lose sight of Christ and his work on the cross. Knowing what you have promised us in him. 
Dear Lord, enable us to desire to submit to you and to do your will wherever and whatever circumstances we are going through. We pray that you continue to be with us in the week ahead, dear Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.